Would you pray with me? Christ, we come before you this morning with our heads bowed, with our hearts bowed in worship to you. We thank you that you are the great, unchangeable I am, that you are a God of glory, of majesty, that you are a God who reigns on high, and yet you are a God who came low. You came to us in grace. You gave of yourself so that our lives could be hid within you, so that we could be one with you, so that we could know and experience and exist in your righteousness. And so this morning as people who are sinful, who are broken, who have experienced the effects of this broken world, we bring ourselves to you. And we ask that you would soften our hearts. We ask that you would make our ears receptive to what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma Northwest, and glad that you're here with us this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the reality of embodied spirituality, embodied spirituality, and that may or may not be a phrase that you've ever heard before or even familiar with, but when we think about being embodied spirits, we look back at the beginning of our scriptures and when God created man, that he created him from the dust of the ground. That he gave man a body. And then he breathed life into that body. He gave man a spirit. Body and spirit. We read that when God made man, that God made man in his image. Which means that mankind was made to rule over creation. To govern creation in relationship with God and in relationship with each other, to reflect the unity of the Creator Himself. But as we, we don't get very far in the Scriptures before we see that sin enters this world and fractures this unified image. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Our relationship with ourselves is broken. Instead of our body and spirit working in unity together, being whole people, reflecting the wholeness and the unity of God, our body and our spirit fight and war against each other. That is why God has made it his business to transform us. That transformation involves bringing all of who we are, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, our bodies, our relationships, body and spirit in relationship with other bodies and spirits, back into alignment 
with who God is. And naturally, that formation involves both our body and our spirit. And God, in his grace, in his kindness, has invited us to participate in this formation, to participate in this transformation through practices that we see in Scripture, practices that help us reconnect our spirit and our body. And we've been talking about the practice of fasting over the last few weeks. Fasting, a bodily response to a sacred moment. A sacred moment, moments that uncover our longing for God's presence, moments that reveal deeper desires that we have that aren't satisfied, moments of grief, moments of suffering, the conviction of sin. The practice of fasting is a natural response to these kinds of moments because when we fast, we are empathizing with God's perspective in our whole person, both spirit and body. We are empathizing with God. We are seeing these moments from God's perspective. We are feeling these moments in the way that God feels them. And when we do that, there are these moments when it just doesn't feel right to eat. It just doesn't seem right to go on with normal life. Listen, the heart behind fasting is not to try to curry favor with God. It's not to try to coax God into giving us something that we want. That, well, if I pray, God may or may not answer that prayer. But if I pray and I fast, then I'm guaranteed that God will answer me. That's not what we see in Scripture, and that's not the heart behind fasting. When we fast, we are bringing our whole self before God. All of who we are expressing to God what we long for, our body in unison with our spirit, longing for the presence of God. And over the next few minutes, I want to look with you from Isaiah chapter 58, this longing for God to right the wrongs of this world. The longing that we have for God to right the wrongs of this world. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah was a prophet of God, communicating to the people of Israel on God's behalf. And listen to what he says to these people. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. To the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. 
and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to, to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? God confronts his people in these verses. He points out that they desire to seek Him, that they want to know His ways, that they want to know the will of God, and they fast in order to do so. Those are all good things, right? Those are all commendable things. Those are things that we've seen in the last couple weeks. There are things that, that are good and right and put us in a place where we can experience the presence of God. But in verse 3, they've done all of these things. They've sought the Lord. They've desired His will. They have prayed. They have fasted before the Lord. And yet they ask, why is God not seeing this? We've humbled ourselves. Why is God not acknowledging what we're doing? Why is God not answering our prayers? Because their piety was a self-centered one. Their fasting was only leading to fighting. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. God's people had prayed. God's people had sought his face. God's people had humbled themselves with fasting. And yet God's people had neglected justice. And they depressed each other. God had called his people to show the rest of humanity in their social life as a nation. The realities of who God is. That their relationships with each other. How they organized their society. How they treated each other. All of these things were to work together to reflect the goodness of God the truth of God, the reality of a God who is perfect and holy and just, and they had failed to do that. They had failed to image God. 
God is saying, if you're going to pray and fast to the God of justice, you should be working to bring about that justice. If you're going to pray and fast to a God of mercy, you yourself should be people of mercy. This is a serious rebuke here that God is leveling against his people, an accusation that God is bringing before them. Look with me in verses 6 and 7. Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God says instead of your kind of fasting that is only about yourself, only about meeting your own spiritual needs, here's the fasting that I desire undoing injustice, releasing the oppressed, feeding the hungry, providing sanctuary for the homeless. You see, fasting, if it is genuine, brings the people of God into a communal spirituality. It leads us to respond to injustice. God wasn't poo-pooing the practice of fasting here. God is not saying, I don't care about your fasting. You should stop fasting. What God is saying here to his people is that your fasting shouldn't stand alone. Fast before me. Cry out to me. Seek my will. Desire to hear from me. But also do the things that I've called you to do. His people had missed the heart behind fasting. And we are always in danger because God's people have always been in danger of only having a self-centered faith. A self-centered faith. Because when we think about our relationship with God, especially as good Americans individualistic as we are, I want to know God better. I want to be a better Christian. I want to have a deeper relationship with God. I want to experience the blessings of God. All of our practice as people and as a community of faith, if we aren't careful, can be aimed at bettering ourselves. Me and Jesus, and that's what I'm about. But remember, fasting is a practice that brings our whole person in line with God's perspective. That we empathize with God over a situation and over a moment. The fast that God requires of his people not only reveals a longing for God's presence to make things right, but is coupled with a compassion for the poor and a responsibility to work out justice in the land. This is what God is saying here. Fast to me. Fast before me. Pray 
to me. Cry out to me. Seek my face and do what is right. Do what is right. Because God's presence is not just about transforming you. Wherever God dwells, his transformation comes to that place. Wherever God dwells, God is doing work in that place. And God has called us not only to be people who seek the transformation of ourselves, but seek the transformation of the place we are in. That our lives and the outworking of our faith reflects the God we believe in. So what does this look like for us? As we read these words written to God's people thousands of years ago, what does that mean for us as a community of faith here? How do we, as people who are seeking God, as people who are responding to sacred moments, not just in our heads or in our feelings, but as people who live in real bodies, in a real place, in a real time, what does this look like for us? Well, first... Fasting can guide us into a greater empathy with God's perspective about injustice. When we fast, we are putting ourselves in line with what God feels about the world we live in and how God sees the situation we find ourselves. Fasting can also bring us into greater solidarity with those experiencing injustice. When we choose this kind of fasting, when we choose to allow our bodies to feel hunger, and this hunger becomes an act of solidarity with those who are hungry by no choice of their own, we align our bodies with those who are suffering. We choose to unite our hearts with those experiencing injustice of all kinds. Systemic poverty, slavery, hunger, homelessness, racism. All of these things, all of these injustices. When fasting in response to injustice, we are bringing our entire person before God. And we are crying out to God that this is a sacred moment that requires our repentance as people of God. Just listen to these. Listen to these numbers here. In 2018, 16% of all children, that's 12 million kids in this country, lived in poverty. That's almost one in every six children. In 2015, the National Center on Family Homelessness found that 2.5 million children experience homelessness each year. The USDA estimates that 11% of U.S. households were food insecure. That means that 14 million households had difficulty providing enough food for all of their members due to a lack of resources. When we fast in response to injustice, in response to poverty, we are crying out to God 
and acknowledging the reality that there are too many people being oppressed, that the needs are too great, that the opposition is too strong. And we need the presence of God to make these things right. When we fast in response to these realities, we are confessing our own inability to make things right. I don't know about you, but when I think of these things, it's overwhelming. What can I do? What can I do when I'm thinking about providing for my own family? When I'm thinking about my own struggles and my own trials and the own, my own circumstances, again, I'm just focused on myself. I'm looking at my life. Fasting is a practice that, again, brings us in line with God's perspective. It helps get us out of our own head, out of our own navel-gazing, and it helps us begin to empathize and show solidarity with other people who are experiencing pain and suffering who are in need. We show compassion to those in need while raising our voices and our bodies to God who is able to provide. God is able to mete out justice. God is able to rectify the wrongs that we experience in this world. And we cry out to him, not only in our spirits, but through fasting, we can cry out in our bodies as well. Secondly, as God called the Israelites to do, God calls us as his people to get into the game, to be about mercy and justice. Author Scott McKnight writes, what we give up in food when we fast can be converted to gifts to the poor. What we give up in time not spent eating can be converted into time spent relieving injustices. African theologian and church father Augustine wrote, fasting chastens yourself. It doesn't refresh others, but your distress will profit you if you afford comfort to others. And he asked this question, how many poor can be filled by the breakfast we have this day given up? Let's say for one week, you, your family, your discipleship group, your MC chooses to fast during lunchtime together in response to the injustices in our city, understanding that there are people today in our very city, maybe even in our own neighborhood, who cannot provide for their families, who will not have enough food to eat. For one week, what if we did this? And then figured out how much money would those lunches that I'm giving up cost? Going out to eat or, or spending money at the grocery. And then donating that money to an organization like Wheeler Mission or Gleaners or some other ministry in our city. Fighting poverty and hungry hunger and homelessness. What a difference that could make when we not only recognize, hey, there are people suffering, but we choose voluntarily because we can to say, I want to identify with folks who are suffering. 
I want to identify with people who are in pain and who are in need. And then use those resources to bless. Use those resources to provide. There's so many different ways that we can do that. And I've talked to some of you, and I know that some of you are doing that. Some of you have done that before. But this kind of fasting also forms us as people. People whose ethic, the way that we live our lives, matches our doctrine and what we say we believe. That the life that we live in our body is in line with the transformation that has happened in our spirit. That God has done a work in us, and that work is reflected in how we live day in and day out, in the place that God has us. Listen to another church father, John Chrysostom, a, 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 a Turkish preacher. Listen to what he wrote. For the honor of fasting consists not in abstinence from food, but in withdrawing from sinful practices. If you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see an enemy, be reconciled to him. If you see a friend gaining honor, do not envy him. Do not let just your mouth fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feet and the hands and all the members of our bodies. Let the hands fast by being pure from theft and avarice. Let the feet fast by ceasing from running to unlawful spectacles. Let the mouth fast as well from disgraceful speeches and railings. This is an expanded view of fasting. That it's not just fasting from food, but it's a response to personal sin and injustice. The practice of fasting should be accompanied by good works. When we as the community of God say, I want to know my life in the way God knows it. I want to see this world in the way God sees it. I want to recognize the things that God recognized. I want to have a heart that reflects the heart of my Savior, and we choose to practice and align ourselves with Jesus, with God the Father, and how he sees this world. We are not just fasting from food, but we are fasting from sinful ways of living, from tur turning from neglect, turning from indifference, turning from outright oppression, and doing what is good, turning to what is right, reflecting and following after Jesus Christ. Look with me back in Isaiah 58 in verse 9. This is what God has called his people to do here. To turn from their ways of injustice. To turn from their ways of oppression. To start doing the things that God has called them to do as a people. And look what God says. Then, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. 
and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations and shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is blessing. This is God's heart for his people. This is what God desires to do in his people. To make us holy. To give us life. To use us in this world to show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show and truly reflect who God is. This is what God wants to do. This is his promise of blessing. Listen to Scott McKnight again. Fasting is not some kind of magical manipulation of God. But if we as God's people will turn from selfish pursuits and the abuses of power to face the poor in our midst, and strive for justice, justice will roll into our communities in ways never imagined. Fasting is connected to God and God's vision. If we come to God with God's vision in mind and surrender our entire person, spirit and body, embody poverty for the vision, we just might discover that God's blessings will pour forth. This is what God wants to do. This is God's heart. This is God's vision to bring justice to this world, to make things that are wrong right, to rectify injustices, to heal the broken, to set the captives free. God will do this. God is doing this. God's desire is that his people align with him in this work. To see things as God sees them. To participate in our world in a way that, rec- that reflects the heart of our creator. And all of this, all of this is rooted in the reality of the gospel. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to a group of people who are affluent by worldly standards, people who are rich, people who have a lot of resources, and people who have used those resources to bless others. Paul writing to them, encouraging them because of their generosity, and exhorting them to be even more generous says this, this is the heart, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We partake in the righteousness of Jesus Only because Jesus became like us. Only because Jesus identified 
with us. We just sang that. One with himself, I cannot die. My life is hid with Christ on high. That's identification. We are one with Jesus because Jesus was willing to give up his rights, to give up his riches in glory, to come and be like us, to take on human form, to live a life like us, to experience the injustices of this world in order that we could know and live in his righteousness. Have a relationship with his father. Be called the sons and daughters of God. If that is true about us, then we also must be people who are willing to make ourselves poor for the sake of others. To empty ourselves out for the good of others to lay our lives down so that others can experience life. As we come this morning as the people of God and we take this meal and we eat, and we take a piece of the bread, we dip it in the juice, we are doing it in remembrance of him. We are looking back at the cross, back at Jesus pouring himself out for us, so that we could have life and we are looking ahead to the day when he will come back and he will make all things new. He will right every wrong. He will wipe every tear. He will free every captive. He will make all things new. We also do it as a commitment to each other. That we live in the here and in the now in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Emptying ourselves out for each other. Pouring our lives out. Divesting ourselves of good things so that others can experience what is good. I mentioned this last week, but in the weeks to come as missional community groups, we, we're going to talk about this. We're going to practice these things together. And this is a good opportunity for us to think very seriously about what this looks like in our lives. As people in this room who have been given much, as people in this room who often do not have to face the choices of whether or not my family will eat today, how to provide for our families, what does it look like for us as the people of God to align ourselves with the vision of God, to empathize with the heart of God, to be people who give and give and give so that the needs in this room and in our community are met. So I want to invite you to come this morning. We'll have stations to my right, to my left. We'll have a gluten-free station in the back. Come in worship of a Savior who died for you, who gave of himself for you, and come as a commitment to say in response, I will be a person who gives. I will be a person who lays down my life 
so that others can experience life. God, we come to you in humility this morning. We come to you with thankful hearts, knowing that you have blessed us, that you've given us resources, that you've given us opportunities, you've given us a life. And that those are things that we should never take for granted. I pray that you would make us people and make us a community of faith that reflects your goodness and your kindness. I pray that you would keep us from turning an indifferent eye to the sufferings of those that live right here with us. I pray that you would keep us from practicing a spirituality that is self-centered. But God, I, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, working in us, that you would continue to bring us in line with your vision, with your perspective. I pray that we would be a community as Isaiah so beautifully wrote that the light rises in the darkness that we would reflect your light and your goodness in Jesus name we pray amen